Um, tonight we're in Ephesians 3. We'll be starting in verse 1 and hopefully get to verse 13. Um, this is sort of a parenthetical statement in Paul's prayer. He kind of stops the prayer for a moment to talk about um, himself a little bit and what his ministry involves and how he was called, a little bit about how he was called. Um, he continues the prayer started in the beginning of chapter 1 um, with only a few asides and digressions, and he never really abandons the prayer. He's, I believe most of Ephesians is a prayer. Um, it's just so beautiful the way it, it, it's written out and and. You know, Paul's heart, you can see his heart all over the pages of this, this book. In verses uh, 12 through 13, there, there's a digression concerning Paul's apostleship and how it was given to him. And again, that's mostly a parenthetical statement about, you know, his ministry and how he got it. And the, the parenthesis is prompted by the mention of his imprisonment in verse 1. So let's read 1 through 13 here. We're in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by the revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. We start with verse 1 here. Paul, Paul writes, for this reason I, Paul. And it's an interesting introduction to this chapter because he never gets to the verb that goes with, for this reason I, Paul, until verse 14, which we won't get to tonight. Um, Greek is a lot different than English. We have to take this section and add verbs so that we can break it down into sentences. Paul was the master of the run-on sentence, and in English, that's just forbidden. We, 
we don't like run-on sentences in English for some reason. Um, I always liked them because that's what I tend to think in and write in. But Paul, you know, didn't mind long sentences with all kinds of asides and digressions, and, and he'd go to different points within the same sentence. Well, in English, that's just not a good thing to do. So we'll get to the verb the next time I get to teach in verse 14. And, and, he, and the fact that he says, for this reason, it refers back to the previous um, chapter, or maybe all of the you know, previous two chapters, possibly. Um, but it definitely refers back to ch um, chapter 2, verse 22. It says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And then he goes right into, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, no period there because it's not a sentence. It ends with a dash and then goes to verse 2, which starts a, a new paragraph. It's kind of left hanging without that verb until chapter, uh, verse 14, where you see he says, I kneel. That provides the verb for the rest of it. So, it's hard to break this up because of you know the way it was written originally, but we don't have time to to get through all of it tonight, unfortunately. Paul mentions that he's a prisoner of Christ. Paul refused to say that he was a prisoner of the Jews or a prisoner of the Romans because he knew he was a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. You know, he was imprisoned by the Romans because the, the Jews had turned him over to the Romans for um, trial. They wanted to kill him themselves, but they couldn't get away with it because of the, you know, the crowd that formed and the, the Romans who came in and rescued, basically rescued Paul and took him out to question him, you know, Find out, you know, what kind of insurrection are you trying to lead against Rome here? Um, and that's why he he's end up, ended up as a prisoner. But he wanted people to know it was because he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was not a prisoner of Rome. Even though he was in a Roman prison, it was because of Christ and for the sake of the Gentiles, which is us, you know, People have suffered so much over the centuries for the sake of continuing Christianity. If you ever get the chance, pick up the book, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs, and just read what people have suffered over the centuries for the sake of Christ. And then there's updated versions that continue it into our generation and what's happening in the world now and what's happened to people. Um, it's just incredible what people have suffered and go through for the sake of Christ. We have it so easy in America, and I think sometimes we don't realize how easy we have it. We don't get in prison yet for our faith. I believe there will come a time. Um, I don't know how far away it is, but, you know, eventually we will be in prison for our faith. And Paul considered that his imprisonment was a mark of his apostleship. 
and for the sake of God. You know, and think about your own lives. We all have sufferings and trials and tribulations. And who are they for the sake of? You know, I know for a fact, if I hadn't have broken my back and had to deal with the pain that I deal with on a daily basis, I wouldn't be as close as I am to the Lord today. No way. There was too many things that I enjoyed in the world and, you know, a lot of like hunting and camping and fishing and, you know, just getting out in God's creation and, and enjoying, you know, playtime basically. But, you know, because of pain, you can't do that. And I wouldn't be in the place I am now as a believer had it not been for the pain that God allowed in my life. And I think the same thing situation was with Paul. You know, and Paul had the example of Jesus Christ himself who suffered immensely for us. You know, so there's a tremendous amount of suffering that's occurred over the centuries for the sake of Christ. And I and I hope sometimes we can we can look at you know our own life and our own situation and our own suffering. Was it for the sake of somebody else? I hope so. I hope it didn't just become something that became self-absorbed in your life and you became embittered by it because that's easy to do. Very easy to do. But if you start to look outward and upward towards Christ, he shows you sometimes the reason that you are suffering. And sometimes we'll never know the reason, but Paul Paul knew his suffering was for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul knew he was imprisoned because he championed the, the cause of the Gentiles. If you go back to Acts 9.15 says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul had barely been a Christian for three days. And here he's getting this commission to go out and preach to the Gentiles and to the Jews and to stand before kings and then being told how much he must suffer for the sake. And Paul suffered immensely for the sake of Christ. Um, Acts 21, I'm going to flip back there. I forgot I had another passage there. Acts 21, 21. They have been informed... They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. And, and this is talking about when Paul went back to Jerusalem to, to face his um, persecutors, basically. And he's told people that he would be willing to die and suffer for the name. But he had to go back to Jerusalem. God was directing his path back to Jerusalem. And the Jews wanted to kill him. And Paul went, had gone in and made a vow with 
four other guys, I think, and they'd all shaved their heads, and, and uh, that was the outcome of this, so that they could see that Paul was an observant Jew, even though he was a Christian. And then same chapter, verses 28 and 29, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Well, that's all false accusations. You know, we're going to face false accusations ourselves over time. And some of us may already have had to deal with that. You know, when we're living our life for the sake of Christ, there's going to be people out there that want to do harm to us. In verse 2, Paul makes a grand assumption here. He goes, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given me for you. Um, he assumes his readers are aware of his special commission. It was kind of one-of-a-kind commission, I believe, almost like Billy Graham. Um, Paul was taken right off the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ himself and commissioned, blinded on the road, and Jesus got his attention and saved his life like, and changed him into a different man. You, to me, that is so amazing, and there's been few people over time, I believe, that have had that kind of commission and I think Billy Graham must have been one of them because you know what a tremendous preaching ministry as an evangelist to the world basically yeah Billy Sunday same yeah shoe salesman Christ get a hold of his heart and boom you know but there are those people through history that you can see a definite distinct calling for some sort form of supernatural ministry like that with a, a huge empowering through the Spirit and the grace of God. Paul refers to his commission as an administration of divine grace. The administration here simply means the implementation of a strategy. And the, that strategy for Paul was to reach the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel and he did that wonderfully because you and I are here today as a result of that ministry way back 2,000 years ago. You know, because Paul took the gospel out into the rest of the world. He traveled on three missionary journeys covering a lot of territory, all the way up as far as I believe Spain. And then other apostles took the gospel even further north up into Ireland and those areas and preaching the gospel, they covered most of the known world, which is all of Rome back then. And, uh, you know, it's so incredible that they were commissioned to take this good news to us. In this verse, God's grace here doesn't refer to the saving grace of God, but to an equipping grace to fulfill his ministry. Every day we need grace. Um, not necessarily grace for forgiveness of sins, but grace to do good things. We need grace to, to preach and to teach and to share the gospel. We need grace every minute of every day to live out our lives, to help us keep our thoughts clean, to help us, you know, 
live in a household with others and to to be a blessing to them and not a burden. You know, sometimes it's it's not easy when we have to live with others. And you think about what are the things in our own lives that we need grace for? Every day, there's something we need grace for. We need grace for patience. I know that. We need grace for all of those, um, the fruit of the Spirit. If it wasn't for grace, we wouldn't be able to practice the fruit of the Spirit. Where would that come from? You know, those are giftings of God. The extension of the gospel to the Gentiles is an act of God's grace. And grace here implies a givenness. Grace is the free gift of God for salvation, but it's also his undeserved favor. You know, and I love to emphasize the fact to people that you, if you are a Christian, are favored by God. You have his favor on you. And he loves you so much. You know, when I was going over these notes this afternoon to get ready for tonight, I was just, sometimes I just get blown away by the love of God. And, and when you're reading the word and looking at what it says, it's just so empowering and so freeing and fills you with such joy and peace that it's unbelievable sometimes. It's like, whoa. Again, as in verse 1, Paul states that the grace given to him was for them, for other people. You know, and I believe God gives each one of us grace, not necessarily for ourselves, but to share um, with other people, to extend grace to other people. You know, you might have a coworker or something that you just, ah, grates on you badly. You just need to extend love and grace to them in spite of how they treat you. You know, and that's what God has called us to do. Turn the other cheek, love, and give grace. Grace is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. No one deserves it. But it's something we're called to share and to give to others. Verse 3. Paul starts, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. You know, I love this because the nature of this administration has to do with the mystery or secret plan by which God determined to incorporate Gentiles into one body of the church. You know, if you look at um, 119, same book. Let's see if I can find it. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. You know, when you think of the power that we have incorporated into the this administration of grace, it's just so amazing. God's power has been given to us. He empowers us internally through the Holy Spirit to be able to share his grace with others. The grace that we've been given has been given to us to share, to hand out generously to others as we've received it generously. And in 
chapter 2, 16. Um, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You know, Jews and Gentiles never got along, but now we're incorporated into the one body of Christ with them through his grace. And that's why naturally as Christians we have a heart for Israel. Our heart should be broken over what's happening to Israel, what has happened in Israel. Um, the demonic forces of Hamas and what they've done to the people of Israel. And, and you can see, you know, why Israel would want to get revenge on those people through this, you know, the bombings and stuff. But their, their goal has never been to destroy the Palestinians. They want to get rid of Hamas, that evilness. You know, it's like when they came into the Holy Land, God told them to destroy everything. Man, women, child, animals, they weren't to, to keep anything for most of the, the cities that they were to conquer. Most of it was to be destroyed and devoted to God. And uh, when you look at that, I mean, that's sort of an aside here. It's not part of my message, but we need to be praying for Israel and the people of Israel, that God's hand and protection would be on them especially the Jews in Israel, because that's who Hamas wants to kill. Israel is probably only 50% Jewish. The rest is all mostly Islamic people who live together there in, in pretty much harmony with, with the Jews and live their lives out like we do every day. But when you've got a neighbor that is run by Hamas and, and they're, they're wicked Wickedness, and they attack your nation like they did to Israel this last time. Just unthinkable. The atrocities that they've committed are unspeakable. They're so bad, you know. And I never talk about them in mixed company because they are so wicked. We've become, through this grace, equal partners with Israel and the inheritance of Christ. Equal partners. Israel had always been God's chosen people. The race of all the people on the earth that he chose to give his law to, to, to love, to, to cherish as his people. And even though they failed God many times, he always took them back and provided for them and, and built them up again as a nation until they would just fall again into tremendous sin. And that whole cycle just kept repeating and repeating and repeating. But they were still God's chosen people, his special people. And we're incorporated into that because of the grace of God. We're equal partners. And this was given to Paul by a revelation, Possibly on the road to Damascus, you know, God revealed himself. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. You know, Paul goes, who are you, Lord, when the light struck him? And he goes, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, he didn't say um, you're persecuting the people. You know, when people, when Christians, believers are persecuted, people are actually persecuting Jesus Christ. You know, so we can... 
take that with a grain of salt and let it slide off our back like water off a duck's back. You know, when, when persecution comes our way, we're to count it as joy. And, and it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And the other thought here is the part of that revelation could have been Ananias just telling him what Ananias was told by God, that he's just going to have to suffer throughout his life for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Gentiles. And, you know, Paul had mentioned briefly again his commission, and the reason for it was for the Gentiles. Verse 4. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Um, Paul's assumption or prayer is that the Ephesians will understand the mystery of Christ and Paul's insight into it. Um, and I love the, the, the term mystery here. It's not talking about something that's unknown, like, you know, when you play Clue or you're looking for, you know, a mystery novel or that's not the kind of mystery he's talking about here. He's talking about mystery as it was in the past tense before God's revelation came to Paul that God wanted to save the Gentiles and commissioned him with that ministry to go out pretty much strictly to Gentiles and preach the gospel to them. And he goes on by reading this, and he, he's talking about the beginning chapters and the rest of the letter. And, you know, by reading this book, we can understand that mystery because Paul lays it out beautifully. And these instructions, and, and Paul's heart is so evident, and his love for the Gentiles is so evident because all that Paul did was suffer greatly for the sake of Christ and, and for the sake of us Gentiles. You know, Paul was a Jew himself, even though he was a Roman citizen, and he was trained to, you know, in the highest levels of, of Judaism. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, went out to kill Christians for the sake of, you know, being a good Jew. And he didn't know that he was persecuting God by doing that. And only God can grant this kind of comprehension by grace. Um, you know, you always hear stories of people or pastors that pastored churches for 20 years before they finally understood the gospel and came to Christ. That idea that when we come to Christ, we have to be broken. I mean, there's, there's so many biblical scholars out there that aren't even Christians. And why they choose to be biblical scholars is a head-scratcher. But they're the ones where all this liberal theology and garbage comes from. They haven't devoted their life to the, the savior of the book, the master of this book. And that's what we need to do is devote our lives to the master of this book. Verse 5 which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, to God's holy apostles and prophets. You know, and I love this idea. He's writing that, you know, this mystery of the gospel was not known to the Jewish people or other nations. 
The Gentiles had no concept of a coming Messiah. The Jews did, but unfortunately they missed the Messiah and, and killed him on a cross instead of honoring him and you know appealing to him and surrendering their lives to him. And this has been made known to men now so that we can understand it and that we can live it out. And Christ has now been revealed to the Gentile masses because of it. And it wasn't universally revealed in prior times. The Jews didn't know that. In Genesis 12.3, that's a long way back, but Hard to get to ch chapters in in the first and last book of the Bible because of all the other stuff that surrounds them. Genesis twelve, did I say twelve three. Yep. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. For all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this is God's promise to the Jews. All peoples on earth will be blessed through the Jews. And Jesus came as a Jewish baby, giving himself up, you know, all of the privileges and glory of heaven to be born in a stable by a, a young virgin. You know, probably a young teenager. You know, it's when you think about, you know, how God entrusted himself in that situation to man. You think of how many times you hear stories of parents dropping, accidentally dropping their kid on their head. You know, things, things happen. And God himself entrusted himself to be raised by someone who possibly could have dropped him on his head. You know, when you think about things like that, what an incredible God we have. You know, at the, in, in the Old Testament, Gentiles could convert to Judaism, but they were never fully accepted and never fully allowed all the temple privileges they still had to stay in that outer court of the temple of the, for, the, for the court of the Gentiles. And, you know, if you remember when Jesus came with a whip and drove the, the Pharisees, the money changers and the people selling animals out of that court, that was the court of the Gentiles that they were selling those animals in. And they were preventing at that time Gentiles coming in to be able to worship in, in peace and quiet. You know, because that's the money changer tables were there, the animals were there, loud, noisy bargaining and dealing was wheeling and dealing was going on, and, and Jesus came in with a whip and just drove them out because he said, My father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. You know, that was the beginning of the the possibility of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And I love that thought that Jesus Loved the Gentiles at that time so much that he took that whip and put himself in harm's way for our sake at that time. You 
Let me get back to the verse I'm on. I get distracted sometimes. You know, and he's talking about the revelation that was given to the, the apostles and the prophets. You know, that's what we have here in this book. All of that revelation of God himself is given to us to be able to read and to understand and to find peace through it and strength through it for our daily lives. And it was given by the Spirit. The Spirit was the, the instrument of revelation in the situation that Paul's talking about. Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. To me, that's a summary of what he said so far in this passage, and even going back to chapter 2. You know, and Paul repeats himself to, for the emphasis. And in this verse, there's three things that are, are prefixed by the, the Greek prefix sin, S-Y-N, is our transliteration of it. And it means co so we're co-heirs, we're co-members of the same body, and we're co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel or the good news. You know, we're incorporated fully into the body of Christ, and he summarizes it so well here. The covenant promises that were strictly for the Jews, even in the Old Testament, are extended to Gentiles now. We're part of that. In verse 7, he goes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. You know, I love that verse. He said, I became a servant, a slave. And this is a different term than what Paul usually uses for like bond slave. Um, doulos is not the word he uses here. He's not talking about his bond slavery to Christ. This, this word servant here means more like a table waiter that serves at the whim of the people who he's serving. Think of a waiter or waitress in the restaurant. They come, you know, give you glasses of water to start with, ask you if you'd like a beverage. They're there to serve you. And they take your order, they put the order in, they come out with your food and serve you. And that's the kind of servant Paul is talking about, that the kind of servant that he is to the Gentiles is just a waiter at the bidding of the customer in that sense. And that's where we get the word for deacon, basically one who lives and works in the service of Christ and the church. You know, when we live and work in the service of Christ, in humility, that's when God recognizes us and raises us up. You know, and when you think about how wonderful and great God is, and all he wants us to be is his bond slaves, his people, and we're chosen and we're favored and given his grace. And all he wants in, in return is for us to devote our lives to him. And then he gives us everything, 
All of eternity is before us. You know, and he seated us in heavenly places with him. You know, there's so many good, wonderful things in this book that we just devote ourselves to and humble ourselves and to present ourselves as servants to God. And it says he's been, the servanthood was given by the working of his power, an act of divine omnipotence of God. 1 Timothy 1, 8, um, a few books over, not that far after Thessalonians. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We know also know that the law is made not for the righteous. Get the right passage here. No, 2 Timothy 1.8. I'm sorry. Going into how great the law is. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, he's talking to Timothy here and encouraging him to, to not be ashamed of Paul's suffering, but to embrace his own suffering for the sake of Christ. What a thought. You know, sometimes we think embrace our suffering for the sake of Christ, yeah. If we look at even, you know, mundane suffering, like the aches and pains of old age, that's pretty mundane suffering. You know, it's inevitable. Everyone's going to get aches and pains in old age. But if you embrace that for the sake of the gospel, and if that sparks something in you to be compassionate to another person who may you know, have aches and pains worse than your aches and pains, and just to love and to serve that person. You know, embrace it for the sake of God's kingdom. We can do that, and he enables us to do that. Like I'm waiting for, like, both shoulders to be replaced, and I just had a new hip put in in February. You know, it's, it's like our parts fall apart. They wear out, you know. They weren't intended to be on us forever you know maybe when god initially created us perfect and good um before sin entered the world before sickness and death and and everything else entered the word world we wouldn't have aches and pains but all of our aches and pains are because of the, the sin nature that dwells within us whether it's our own sin or, or just the idea of sin in the world that's where suffering comes from and most suffering, you know, we if we embrace it and we look to God for it. Um, at First Peter four twelve through fourteen, if you look there, Peter talks a lot about suffering, and I'm sure it's because of his own suffering. First Peter four twelve through fourteen. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. You know, what an encouragement in that passage. We don't have to fear what other people fear. If we suffer, it's for the sake of Christ. You know, we don't have to fear suffering. And and I, I know so many people who don't have the Lord that soon some little thing comes into their life. It's, it's a big panic. You know, as believers in Christ, we don't have to panic ever. You know, because we are loved, chosen people. He talks about the grace given me. That ties back to verse 7. Uh, well, I'm in verse 8 now. Let's read 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, that grace he's talking about ties back to verse 7. And he calls himself the least of all the saints. Um, I love the Greek here because it's literally the leaster or the most least. <laughs> that's, the, that's not great English, so we, we change it to the, the least. But Paul considers him the least of all saints. What a humble man Paul was. And even writing that, you know, do I consider myself the least of all saints? I should. Because we're to consider others as better than ourselves. You know, and if we put ourselves in that category and humble ourselves um, like Paul did, you know, Paul never considered himself to be a, a super Christian. He was just such a humble man. You know, Moses was a humble man. It talks about Moses being the most humble man in the world. You know, and now Paul kind of takes up that mantle in a sense. And as like Moses was to the Jews, Paul is almost to the Gentiles. You know, taking the, the good news to us. And even his name, Paul, means little in Greek. I, I find that humorous. <laughs> little because he considered himself the least. And that was the name given to him. He used to be called Saul. You know, and when God gave him his new name, Paul, I, I think God gave it to him for a reason. He wanted to realize that you are little. You're little compared to the greatness of God. You're little in my eyes, but I love you immensely. You know, that, that thought is so wonderful. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you. For I am not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. You know, Paul says, I'm, I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles. I mean, he, he uses that term very sarcastically because they're, you know, false teachers and, 
and other teachers that people looked up and they thought, well, these got to be super apostles. You know, these are the great evangelists. These are the, the great teachers. And Paul said, I, I'm not in the least bit inferior to them, but I am nothing. I am nothing, too. And I tell people the only good thing in me is the Spirit of God. That's the only good thing in me. The rest of it is just garbage. It's rubbish. Paul considered all of the training that he had as a Jew as rubbish. It's garbage. It's like dung to be thrown out. And the word to proclaim here in this verse is to preach or to evangelize. And I love the thought that he talks about to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches. That's what we have in Christ. The riches that we have in Christ, we can never comprehend. There's no way we could ever sit down and on a piece of paper and write out all the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. It's impossible because they're incalculable. They're unlistable. I mean, you could start a list, but you'd never be able to complete it because he's an infinite being and we're finite beings. And as an infinite being, God chose to love these little finite beings that are sitting here tonight to put his spirit into, to put his life into, his blood into. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Verse 9, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Again, Paul's talking again about making plain or shedding light on this mystery that has now been revealed. You know, he's so um, repetitious about this idea because he, he wants to, us to get it into our heads. That's why Paul is very repetitious in his writing. So is Peter. Peter keeps, you know, I'm writing this to remind you. You know, he wants that to be in our hearts and in our minds. He doesn't want it to leave us. And he wanted to put a, like a floodlight on it so no one needs to remain in the darkness or not understand these riches of Christ that are made clear to us through the word. And these, the mystery was hidden in God's mind until the right time. You know, 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. No, we speak to God's we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You know, when that mystery was hidden, the Jews didn't understand when Jesus came that he was their Messiah. He was the one that was going to save them and, and give his life up for them, but instead they rejected him because they wanted their, their rule and their authority 
You know, and, and you think about that. How many times do we want our rule and our authority over God's rule in our life? You know, we could easily reject God in the middle of our day, not even knowing it because we just want our way. We want things to go our way. We, you know, we want things to work out good for us. You know, it's just, and it's, it's so much that we need to be focused on, you know, of God every day, all day. God has created, determined uh, what his own strategy would be for the revelation of this mystery. And it's only God had the right as creator and uh, no one else to reveal this mystery to. And he gave this mystery to Paul to, to teach us. Verse 10, his intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Um, this is a, a powerful verse because it talks about the ultimate goal of creation and redemption is the manifestation of God's wisdom to the world and to the rulers and authorities and principalities out there somewhere. We don't even know what they are, who they are. Invisible powers that we can't see that are at work in, in our world. And that's, the church is now that instrument to carry that message. And we're sort of like a, um, a mirror through which the bright ones of heaven see the glory of God. You know, the angels Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews that talks about, you know, salvation is one of those things that angels look on and they don't understand because they've always been perfect. They don't know what it is to be a, a fallen sinner that was loved by God and saved, you know, and that's our purpose is to reflect that love of God so that even angels looking in on us, the, the ministering spirits who work in our lives in times we're not even aware of, can see that administration of God's love in us and just stand in awe and wonder of their God. You know, when we should also always be standing in awe and wonder of our God. And it talks about the multifaceted or manifold or many, it's a, like a many splendored thing. Glow, it's a glowing and unfolding beauty he talks about in this verse. Um, That wonderful um, power of God that has been made available for us. Verse 11. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was God's eternal purpose. God knew that when Adam and Eve sinned, they would need a Savior. They would need someone to cover for their sins. So the first thing God did when he found them in the garden was to, to kill a couple lambs to make clothing for them so they could cover their now shameful nakedness. Before their nakedness wasn't shameful. They didn't even know they were naked, but when their eyes were open to good and evil, they saw that they were naked. So God sacrificed a couple lambs for the sake of clothing them and taking away their shame. 
And that's where salvation began. And that's where the, the revelation of God's plan for his redemption of people started. Way back there in the garden, when man first sinned, God made a way for forgiveness starting then. You know, it was his eternal purpose even before time began. And it denotes a plan or a, a scheme that God developed to save us. And it differs from verse 9 where it appears that the ages here began at creation and ended with Christ. It's a completion of God's redemptive plan when Christ came. His redemptive plan was fully accomplished in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, It is finished. The plan and work of salvation had been accomplished through his death. And we've been invited to be a partaker of that death. To live a life where we die daily to self, as Will talked about this morning. Um, I guess about half were here this morning, half weren't. But we're invited to take up our cross daily and die daily for the sake of Christ. And our sufferings should be looked at in the same light. You know, when you think of the purpose of God, it was accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word Lord means master, and I wrote that in all capitals here. You know, this is a historic realization and reality that God sent Christ into the world to die for us, to save us from our wretchedness and our sinfulness. Verse 12, that's another powerful verse. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. How could we not just embrace that verse and love it? Um, and it's the practical conclusion of the previous verses. In Christ, we have boldness and confident access to the Father that we don't wouldn't have if Christ hadn't come. You know, the Jews had to bring an annual sacrifice for their sin. And, and if they sinned during the year, they would have to bring some kind of offering to cover that sin. And they'd present that to be, to be killed and sacrificed on the altar and burned. Part of it would be burned, part of it would be eaten. But the blood would be sprinkled on the altar. And some of that blood, once a year, would be taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the the top of the Ark of, of the Covenant. You know, that's what you would have to do for your sin. You were you became so conscious of your sin that a life was required for every sin you committed. And that's Jesus. Jesus came and gave his life for our sin. You know, because there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And only in Christ and through faith in him can we enter into God's presence. And I like this in Greek because there's two ways it can be interpreted. One was only through faith in him. And the other could also be interpreted through his faithfulness. Either way is a good interpretation in Greek. And either way, it's wonderful. Because we are saved because of Christ's faithfulness to his Father. 
And through his obedience to his father, we're saved because he went to that cross at God's command. The night before he prayed, if this cup might pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He was all about doing the father's will. He was fully God, fully man but yet submitted himself to God, the Father. And whether it's through our faith in him or through his faithfulness, it's either way. It's either through our faith or through his faithfulness, but they both have such a depth of meaning. Um, through our faithfulness to him, through his faithfulness to the Father. We can enter God's presence without inhibition or fear or anything else in our lives. God graciously accepts those who come to him through Christ. We have freedom of access to the Father. You know, when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he started the prayer, Our Father. We were told at the men's conference this weekend by um, Ken, Ken Graves that we should be praying that prayer every day. I pray that prayer every day because it's part of the devotional that Oliver and I have been going through. You know, that prayer is in that book every day for each daily devotion. And it we pray that prayer every day. Our eyes are opened, I believe, to the truth of God because Jesus could have prayed, my father, but he didn't. He included us in that prayer, our father. And if you look at that prayer carefully, it's all in the plural except it's reference to God. After he goes, um, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it starts in the plural again. Forget, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. It's all in the plural. Because when we pray that prayer, God's intent was that we consider the rest of the body when we're praying that. You know, otherwise Jesus said, you know, give me my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. You know, it could have been all about me, but Christianity never is about me. It's about others. You know, God saved me, not because I deserve to be saved or anything like that. God saved me for the sake of other people, to share the gospel, to share the good news, to take that good news out into the world, the highways and the byways, the homeless, the, you know, the, the drug addict. Um, I've had the blessing and privilege to, to host more drug addicts at my house than I could ever have imagined doing, you know, because of God's grace and his mercy. My house has become open to drug addicts 
or former drug addicts. People who have been in programs that I've worked with that didn't make it through the program but still needed a place. You know, come to my house. God's given me the, the blessing of having them. And he finishes here in verse 13 in this section. He goes, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. You know, Paul didn't want them to be discouraged about his suffering for them. You know, because his suffering for them was for their glory. You know, when we look at our suffering and we think, you know, how can I use my suffering for the glory of other people? How can I use what I'm going through, this trial, these temptations, for the glory of other people? And it comes down to just honesty. What are the, the sins? What are the things in my life that the Spirit of God living in me has helped me to overcome? And how can I use what the Spirit of God has done in me to help others in similar situations? What can I do to help? That should be the question in our heart all the time when we see people. What can I do to help? What do you need? How can I love you? How can I give you the love of God and share the love of God with you? You know, and our sufferings are for the glory of others. And suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. There's so many passages in Scripture that talk about how suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. We are called to suffer. In the, in the first place, Jesus told us in Luke, we, we have to take up our cross daily. What is the cross? It's an instrument of death and suffering. And we're to take that up daily and embrace it. Not just, oh, guess I've got to die to myself again today. Oh, what a wretched man I am. How can I do this? You know, it's woe is me. You know, that's not our attitude that we should have. Just embrace it. Embrace the suffering like Paul did. He didn't enjoy it. We don't enjoy suffering. If we do, there's something wrong with our heads. Definitely something wrong. We probably ought to be talking to a counselor at that point. But we're not called to enjoy it. We're called to embrace it for the sake of others, for their glory. You know, Paul's God's plan for us is so amazing. I've got a, a couple scriptures here I want to read about about suffering. If you go to 2 Timothy 3.12, I'll read that one real quick, and then we'll go to Peter um, for a couple others. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Um, and then Paul gives the admonition to Timothy just to continue in the faith and the teachings that you, you've heard. You know, you're going to suffer. It's a normal part of life. Um, First Peter 
There's several passages in 1 Peter that talk about suffering. Chapters 3 and 4, Peter talks a lot about suffering. After he talks about wives and husbands, he goes right into suffering. <laughs> I find that a little bit <laughs> humorous. <laughs> but 1 Peter 3, 14 through 18, I read some of this before, so I won't read all of it. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You know, talking about suffering, the immense suffering of Christ. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You know, suffering is a tool that God uses in our lives to teach us. And the idea behind the suffering in chapter 4, 1 and 2 here, is that suffering helps us to do away with sin in our lives. You know, the idea that as a result, that you know, we don't live the rest of our life for earthly pleasures once we, we embrace suffering and embrace the, the death on the cross daily, the death to self daily. And same chapter 12 through 19, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. Ooh. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel, gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See, we can do good even in our suffering. You know, none of us has ever suffered to the point of shedding blood for the sake of the gospel. Yet, none of us in this room, I can almost guarantee that. But there's been plenty of others that have gone before us that have suffered. 
in chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, as a result of our suffering for the sake of the gospel, God makes us firm and steadfast in the truth. You know, if we have a hard time embracing suffering in our lives, pray about it. Just seek God. Ask him, why Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Is it for, truly for your sake? And if it is truly for your sake, help me to do it for your glory and the glory of others. Paul suffered for us. There's many gone before us that have suffered for us. Now it's our turn to take up that mantle and use our suffering that we all have from time to time, no matter what it is, for God's glory and for the glory of others. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just love you so much tonight, Lord. We thank you for the gift of suffering and the grace that you give us to go through suffering, Lord. It's, it's all because of you and for you, Lord, that you allow us to suffer for your glory and for your kingdom, Lord, and, and help us to embrace our suffering. Not the idea that we have to enjoy it or be happy about it, Lord, but that we can embrace it and use it for your kingdom and for your glory, Lord. Help us to if nothing else, just take that part away tonight, Lord, as, as others have suffered for us and gone on before us, Lord, to show us that it's possible to live a godly life and to, to suffer for your sake, Lord, even, even though we live in a nation where we don't necessarily suffer for our faith, Lord. There is physical suffering, Lord, because of sin in the world. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just pour out your grace on us and that we would be able to suffer for your glory and for the glory of others. In Jesus' name, amen.